I, I think it really starts with really understanding who you are as a company, like, and not just colors or type kits, things like that. I'm talking like going beyond it from a, a more from a, your true voice as a brand. In Your Element is a show dedicated to helping you find your element. Every episode will be showcasing an idea, a story, or an interesting person who's living in their element with the hopes of helping you find your own. Being in your element can mean many things. To some, it's a state of peak flow. We are performing at your best, are happy and content with life, and are doing interesting things which are worthwhile talking about. The idea is to uncover stories of people who are living in their element and share wisdom on what it takes for others to also find their own. My guest today is John Flory. With several years of experience in online retailing and direct-to-consumer sales, John has seen and witnessed every angle, from packing boxes to customer service and sales. Having moved to South Florida over a decade ago, he launched and subsequently sold his own brand, taking what he learned to help others through his agency as the president of Sama Labs. With a 35-person team and growing, Sama Labs was built quite literally out of a bedroom into a booming business, managing a portfolio of over $50 million in ad spend. So, John, I'm really excited to have you on the show. How are we doing today? Great, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on today. Awesome. And where are you coming at us from? Are you still based in Boca Raton? Yep, we're in South Florida. But uh, as of last March, when COVID hit, we actually went uh, basically international with our team. So we started to send, obviously, we sent everybody home so they could work from home, obviously. And, but it enabled us to start, um, you know, hiring outside of South Florida, where traditionally we were always in an office. So that was a big thing for us. We had actually were able to, um, you know, uh, get talent from other parts of the country and even as far as Canada now. So, uh, so yeah, so we're, we're, we're totally abroad now. That's awesome. I, something that I find quite, quite funny is that the word Boca Raton, I think sounds really cool in English, but in Spanish, it quite literally translates into like rat's mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's not, not, not too friendly. <laughs> uh, it's something I realized as well for, for some reason, because I'm from I'm from Gibraltar, and um, Gibraltar is it's a British overseas territory at the bottom of Spain, and we speak both uh, Spanish and English there. But what I found really interesting was when I visited the states for the first time. You know, we were visiting places like Los Angeles and San Francisco, and like you know these awesome cities. And it only hit me there that Los Angeles actually it's like a Spanish name. And when I made that connection, I felt so... Well, it's weird how like there's a lot of places in the in the U.S. that get, I guess, their inspiration of their names and their, uh, you know, lineage from other parts of the world. So it's because America is one of the youngest uh, areas of the country as far as being, you know, culture like that. So you look at places like Europe, they've been around for literally centuries. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting where we get our names from. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've always thought of these as names. So like, or like brands, I guess, you know, I don't think of them as like Spanish, Spanish words. So Los Angeles, the angels that didn't really click for me. I've never thought of it in that way. And it's really interesting how, how we can make those kinds of connections. Well, we do that too on the agency side, you know, like we do a lot of branding. So um, people with ideas will come to us and they want 
as far as like helping them come up with a name, you know, and, and, and create that, that brand identity. So one of our uh, brand directors, he actually will get inspiration from like uh, Latin words and Greek words and, and find meaning within those words, because you really can't get that in the English language. Like you can with obviously other languages and have it meaningful to, to have a foundation for a good brand too. So it's happening all the time. Yeah. And that actually really leads me into the next question, which I have, which is, I would love to learn more about your story and what brought you to Sama Labs. I know you've mentioned in your in your bio that you started your own brand and then you subsequently sold that off and that led you into to Sama Labs. But I'd love to hear from your perspective what that story was. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting story and, and just kind of the journey to get here um, has led many different paths and, and ultimately you always end up in the right place as, as the universe will you know lead you to. So I'm originally from New York. I grew up in New York. Um, I moved to South Florida about roughly 10, 11 years ago. Um, and I went to school for psychology. You know, I wanted to work with children and either be in like a, a pediatric psychologist or a teacher or you know, something along those lines. And I, I, uh, I visited Florida, visited a friend here in Florida. We were pretty young at the time, 21, 20 years old. And he, um, I fell in love with Florida. Like it took me two weeks and I'm like, just like that. I'm like, I need to be down here. This is, it just feels more like home to me. So, um, right away, my, I had an introduction to e-commerce businesses. Um, he had been working for a, uh, automotive, um, maintenance car care type of stuff like waxes and sealants and things that make the car shiny, uh, very big brand. Um, so that was my kind of introduction to e-commerce. That was back in, it was an old Yahoo store back then, which is pretty, uh, antiquated today, but, um, but that was the introduction. And, and right away, I just, I, I've always been into tech, you know, I've always been kind of a uh, closet nerdy geeky type of guy, big gamer. So, um, it just was easy for me. The learning curve for everything happening within the operation side just was easy for me. So, um, we jumped over to another econ brand, sold aftermarket parts for Ford Mustangs uh, called Lethal Performance. Uh, amazing place. Um, spent a few years there. Um, and that's my time there was when Facebook as an advertising platform and a place to grow your brand started to really get traction. Um, so had some, some really entry-level things happening, testing some stuff with uh, engaging different social media pages and influencers and stuff. So that was kind of my introduction to online advertising. And then uh, I went to go build my own um, uh, wellness and supplement brand um, shortly after that. And uh, that was more of a learning experience. You know, when I, when I sold it off, it was more selling the assets, not so much selling the brand. Um, but the, what I learned in that process of building my store, getting the inventory, shipping it, dealing with customer service at a higher scale, um, gave me a more complete picture on how people run brands. So shortly after that, um, worked for about four years running a local boutique um, SEO web design company, uh, ran that for, like I said, about four years. And then I, uh, I met my friend Thomas Discernia, and he had been uh, building his own brand empire for the last seven years. Um, brands called SA Company were an outdoor apparel brand. Um, and he built that straight out of his bedroom, dropped out of dental school to pursue this dream. And, uh, and, and it's been successful since. So when I met him, though, um, he had been getting 
a lot of inquiries from friends and family members that also own brands that were struggling to grow their brands. You know, maybe they were working with an agency and had a bad experience, or they knew they had to start activating online advertising and then just didn't really know who to trust or who to go to or who to turn to. And because SA is a monster brand, um, we spend six figures in advertising a day. Um, we had some good blueprints to share with people, you know, a really good, something that can emulate really well with other, other companies that were not quite as big, but, you know, can take a lot of value from what we've learned. And, uh, came to me when we were talking one day, he said, look, I can, you know, I could build brands in my sleep, but I don't know the first thing about running an agency and you do. Um, so why don't we try to marry the two philosophies into building something very disruptive and engaging and something that's predicated on value. Um, and that's how he came up with Sama. So Sama actually stands for SA marketing. So SA is the brand, right? That's the, that's the DNA. Um, and uh, obviously the acronym is, is Sama Labs. So we wanted to use labs as a way to the science behind building a brand, growing a brand, operating a brand, uh, so many layers to it, right? So that was, um, that was a big thing for us. You know, when we wanted to create the agency, having both operational experience as an agency, but also as a brand dealing with other agencies too, and knowing the things we didn't want to do with other companies. Um, and that's how we got our start. So three years, three and a half years later, teams, like, like you said before, a little over 35 people, I think we're at 38 now, um, we're fully, fully integrated, you know? So not only do we have the marketing, but we also have, um, so many other layers of running a, a brand online that we can help, um, you know, a lot of our clients with certain challenges that most agencies just aren't exposed to. So it's a, it's a unique advantage we have. That's awesome. Little, little kind of run on, but I hope that painted a framed a good picture for you. Yeah, I, I love I love that story, and especially because you know, it seems like um, I also have some friends who are really interested in, in digital marketing. Actually, childhood friends, which is really which is really awesome. Last night, I actually came across a uh, a TikTok page for a really close childhood friend who now is in the digital marketing space and he's trying to run his own agency as well. And I was um, I was just mind blown at the like the the difference in the landscape these days because I. I've been somewhat disconnected from social media over the past, say, two, three years, especially throughout university where I went pretty heads down. I decided to take a bit of a step back. But now I am I'm getting a lot more interested in, in how things have changed and what's happening now. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you was how you've seen the social media landscape change over the past, you know, four or five years. I mean, it, it continues to change all the time, you know, and I see it kind of firsthand <clears throat> dealing with brands of all different sizes, but you know, it's, it's always, it's always an evolution, right? So you look at how Facebook got its start and everybody was on Facebook, then Instagram, and it's just kind of this uh, chronology of how people behave on social media and how these different platforms now serve their own purposes. And they're kind of finding their way. You have you know, the TikTok and clubhouse uh, now today, has this amazing discoverability that you don't find on Facebook and Instagram. Um, whereas you used to back when the algorithm was much different. So I think that it's, it's going to continue to always change. Um, and, but it, it, important, most importantly, it's, it's playing it to its strengths, you know, and knowing how it's going to serve you, uh, whether it's your personal brand or your actual brand. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how it's developed over time. And, and now you have these platforms that TikTok will always improve itself. You know, people are starting to spend a lot of media on TikTok as opposed to the organic posting, but kind of like how it was with Instagram, everything was organic, everything was more discoverable. And then obviously now it's, it's more 
pay to play, I guess you can, you know, call it with, with trying to get exposure that it's outside of your actual engagement. So um, I think we're still very young in, in the whole uh, social media game. It's, it's crazy to think it's, it's how, how short of a time it's been compared to everything else. When you look at like traditional media, for example, that's been around since well before you and I were even a thought, right? So that's, uh, I, I think it's going to continue to get interesting. I think with, you know, all these new developments with like, uh, uh, crypto and blockchain, how that will start to mesh itself into social media and look at, it's all about, um, everyone's impatient today, right? So it's the faster you can, you can get information, the faster you can experience something. I think that's, and, and disrupt the norm. Um, we'll continue to see more of that, but, but I think TikTok and Clubhouse are like the newest pieces of that puzzle because now with Clubhouse, you have a podcast experience, but it's live. And then I liken that to like the original days of Twitter, like the, the novelty of Twitter was you can see your celebrities talking in real time and kind of engage with them, whether or not they'll respond to you. And they might see that you commented to them. And that's an experience you can't get anywhere else with clubhouse is very similar. Now you're getting, uh, you can listen to your, uh, your idols, your influencers, the people you follow in real time, having contextual conversations that might be important to you. So I think that's the, that's why clubhouse is getting a lot of, um, a lot of engagement and a lot of notoriety because it's going to be, and I think it's going to continue to grow that way. And same thing with TikTok. you know, TikTok is just more of a lot of content quickly and just it's short and then you're on to the next thing and it's just continuous, you know? So um, yeah, I think we'll see more evolution, but it's interesting to see how the OG days of Facebook being a a university college run platform to what it, what that is even today um, and how that's really just, that's still the, 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 uh, pioneer of direct-to-consumer advertising tools like Google obviously is, is still very important but it it still behaves differently from a uh, consumer experience so I guess it's how you how you treat it towards what your objective is whether it's personal or or you know holistically as a brand yeah and there's something I would love to dive into you mentioned this idea of discoverability on particularly these newer platforms like TikTok and um, like TikTok and, and Clubhouse as well and I'm I'm curious. Do you do you reckon one of the reasons why these these platforms are emerging and gaining so much popularity is because of that discoverability aspect, or do you think there's something more to it? Well, I mean, I think the algorithm is still learning its way. You know, uh, like I said, Instagram was much like how TikTok is today, with you being able to find people and get engagement. Um, TikTok obviously wants more users. They want more activity. They want more people on the platform longer. So. I think it's just, that's going to continue to find its way too, as, as the platform gets smarter. Um, and they want to take market share, of course, you know, but they know TikTok knows who they are and they know who they aren't. Um, what they want to be is a good self-serving advertising platform so they can make you know money like everybody else. But I think it's also um, having the, the, the thought that you can post something, reach hundreds, if not thousands peop- of people overnight and become this viral sensation. I think there's a, there's a, um, that, that viral pipe dream that people have that they've seen all these people just overnight become celebrities because of their, um, something they posted on TikTok. you know, that's made a lot of careers, some people, a lot of money. So I think there's always that element to it. Um, and then I think with clubhouse, again, it's just, it's a new experience, you know, especially I, I think the pandemic certainly helped because it allowed people to stay connected in a, in a different way. Um, 
But I, I, again, if, if you match convenience with disruption, I think you'll find success with platforms like that. But um, I think in the next, I say probably two or three years, TikTok will start to be more like Instagram because again, there's so much content. How does the platform serve the most relevant content that they think you want to see too? Um, so it's getting there. Mm, I think that's awesome. And one of the things I'd love to get your your insight on as well is we've mentioned a couple of times this idea of, you know, the algorithm changing and, and how that's leading into discoverability and, and, and growth and perhaps to some of the success of these platforms. What do you think, uh, or I'd, actually, I'd love to get your insight in, you know, in, in some labs in particular, do you advise, you know, uh, clients, do you, do you try to um, sort of keep your finger on the pulse of, of how these algorithms are working to try and, you know, maximize discoverability and whatnot? Or do you rely on, on other kinds of principles that you find just tend to work across the board? It's a good, it's a good question. So I think that's the unique advantage we have with having such an established brand kind of behind us or in front of us really. Um, because that brand allows us to see what's what changes are happening and what's coming and how it affects a brand at scale. Let's say if there's some sort of targeting change, right, um, on Facebook, for example, and it whether it negatively or positively affects our marketing and our ability to drive revenue, I can take that and then see, okay, is this going to affect clients that we do have? And if it is, how do we proactively protect them from not having kind of the bottom fall out of it. So um, we're always looking at stuff like that. Obviously with our partnerships with a lot of these big platforms, Facebook, um, Snapchat, Pinterest, now TikTok, of course, we do have regular conversations with the, with the people because, you know, uh, on, on the, on the platform side, because obviously they don't, they don't want deep down, they don't want to hurt the brands. Like they don't want these brands to stop spending money. Right. Cause that's what it's really all about. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's always thinking, but it all boils down to the, to the content, the marketing, you know, the engagement, how, how creative you can be. That's really what makes brands successful on, on Facebook and Instagram from an, from an advertising perspective is that that's what you have to think about. Um, people get served hundreds of ads a day without even realizing it. So how do you in the feed, keep someone engaged or grab their attention in the first you know few seconds that you do have? So, you know, whether the, however the platforms do change, it's, it's always thinking more disruptively on the creative side. That's where you'll, you'll always be ahead of competitors based on how out of the box you can think sometimes while keeping the brand integrity in check, of course, but that's, I, I would, I would lean more towards the creative and the messaging more so than just like figuring out, Hey, if we're not allowed to tar- target males or females anymore, what are we going to do? Right. Um, always be more creative than analytical, I think, sometimes. Hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and particularly this idea of making sure you have like killer content, because I think at the end of the day, that's probably what matters most. And, um, you know, all of these these algorithms, all of these platforms, what they're trying to do is probably surface this this content and make it most relevant to people. So, you know, having that strategy makes makes a lot of sense, too. So I think it's really interesting, the the painting that you that you that you colored there. One of the things that I wanted to to get your insight on was we've also seen in the past couple of months in particular a an, an explosive growth not just in these these platforms you mentioned like TikTok and, and Snapchat and just in general social media across the board, but I think podcasts as well have also seen quite a tremendous growth. And I would love your take on how podcasts could be used as another one of these mediums and whether you see it as a 
a a growing medium or, or more established or is it in the early days? I'd love your take on that. Um, yeah, I mean, and you know, we're launching a podcast ourselves in the next few weeks, actually. So we we're, we're definitely getting um, definitely getting involved in that realm because it's been around a long time, you know. And I think that uh, it's had its ebbs and flows. And you know, I keep I'm sure a lot of people say this, but the the pandemic, people being inside and finding need, you know, a need to find things to do. Um, certainly helped because, you know, people with, whether it's a self-help podcast or it's a business podcast or finance, whatever it was, it was an, it was a very convenient way to find information without having to pay for it, you know, and, and, and people that you can trust, you know? So it's like, you know, people who had established personal brands, people who had the ability to um, use other platforms to promote their podcast because the free content they were putting out there all in other platforms led them to, to finding their podcast. I think it's, uh, I think it's a great tool, I think. And also from an advertising perspective, it's, you know, those episodes are there forever, right? So it has a very residual effect to your marketing as well. Um, but I think ultimately I think the growth is, and like a lot of things that are happening, TikTok, you know, I'm sure, wouldn't be exactly where it is. It'd be close, but if it wasn't for, again, the pandemic and people being inside, finding things to do, I think it would probably be um, still a little bit under the radar. Um, maybe not so much like today, today, but you know, um, it's, it's helped in, in, in a really weird way of thinking about where we just came out of in the last 12 months and we're still in it, right? But what, what it actually does mean for, you know, um, brands rethinking or recalibrating their marketing too, um, because now people are exposed to this whole new way of experience things, experiencing things that, all right, well, maybe we don't have to spend a ton of money on, on TV commercials anymore. And that, which is obviously happening today. People like Dunkin' Donuts spending a lot of money on TikTok. It's a great example. Traditionally, they, uh, had always spent on, on TV and radio. Um, and now they obviously have that partnership with, um, Charlie D'Amelio who's obviously the biggest TikToker out there. And, and, you know, that's, that's a good indicator of like, all right, well, this is a major, major corporation that's making that play into, into, into TikTok and digital and this whole different cons consumer experience. Um, I think also is very similar to how we're looking at podcasts today. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I was, I was thinking about too, was on the topic of, 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 of podcasts, I think, one of the things that I like about podcasts is that it's a very digestible, uh, long form of of media. We all have, we've got like our TikTok, we've got our, you know, Instagram videos, which are sort of bite-sized nuggets of information and media that kind of thrown at us. But podcast is one of those, which is slightly longer form where I, I think that it's a different, it's a different kind of medium, but perhaps there are different opportunities to connect with, with audiences and do you see this as a potential way to better connect with like niches perhaps and, and better drive engagement in that sense? Yeah, it can be again, you know, and you just kind of touched on it. Like how do you really condense? Cause no one really wants to listen to like a two, three hour podcast. Let's, let's be honest. Right. So if you can condense these episodes between I think 20 and 40 minutes is usually that sweet spot. It's enough time. So people like you have um, this whole new wave of people buying Pelotons, right? I bought one about two months ago. So if you can find these commonalities of like most people ride Peloton, they do 20 minutes, they do 45 minutes, right? So let's combine that with something else that'll, that'll 
you know, people are like trying to be proactive. They want to be healthy wellness. They can listen to a wellness podcast while they're doing, uh, you know, a 30 minute Peloton, um, session. And, um, so you, you look at all these different things that are happening in their life. People are, are, are these bite-sized pieces of information. I think that's kind of the, the wave It's like, let's, let's condense it down. Let's make it easily digestible, but also let's make it so they want more next time, you know, um, that's the big thing with marketing too, I think. And, and, and you, you know, look at, uh, uh, WandaVision, right. The new show that came out on Disney plus every episode, they did such a really good job because it was the, the, the first few episodes were only 30 minutes, but they want, you wanted more, but they're like, Nope, you gotta wait till next Friday. So I think, um, I think people are just kind of coming to terms with let's, let's make it very digestible. Let's make it very unpackable. And that's what we're seeing today. Mm, absolutely. And, I think a lot of that is attributed to at least, you know, the proliferation of some of these longer form, uh, you know, forms of, of, of content is, is also, as you mentioned, because of the pandemic, people are at home, they're on their Peloton, as you mentioned. And something I would be really curious to get your, your insight on is we've seen social media change drastically over the past couple of months. It's just this, this huge influx of, of activity. People are bored. They're on social media. They're, you know, TikTok is exploding. How do you think things might change as we inevitably start to transition out of this pandemic and people start going back into the real world? Do you think that a lot of these platforms might, you know, um, still be as prevalent? Do you think things might change? Like, what is your take on that? I don't think we're going to see much change, honestly. You know, when you think about it, I think a lot of companies are realizing, hey, we can still be a healthy company and still have much of our workforce work from home you know, and kind of like how we're doing hire abroad and hire different talent in other places of the country. And in fact, the world. So I think, uh, you know, no, I don't think anything's going to really change. I don't see that happening. Um, I, I, cause being home, you're still going to need stuff to do. You know, we we're totally working from home. So I got to find time to like mentally unpack because you're sitting in the same room. You know, I have my Xbox next to me. So I'm like, once I'm done with work, I'll jam on Xbox with some friends. So you got to find spaces and ways to break up that day. So it doesn't seem so like end to end, you know, I'm going to wake up, go to bed and everything between that is just everything between. I think there's, you have, we're not going to see major changes because people are going to still need that, that experience. Um, those are my, that's just my thoughts. And I think that, that, you know, that may or may not change, but, um, I think the whole work from home thing is just this major widespread epiphany that people are having now that you, we can run a business with the tools we have. Slack is a great tool that we have that allows us to keep in touch with everybody in real time. And um, so, no, I don't, I don't see anything really changing much, honestly. That's a really, really interesting insight. And um, I, I, I would, I would love to see, you know, social media um, make more use of kind of, as as there is opportunity to help promote in person like relationships as well once we do get to that point because i think that would be that would be awesome and um there was there was this this uh sort of concept for a social network that i came across recently where they promoted actually making friends on the platform by physically having to be around someone and sort of you know um 
uh, send a request, you know, in proximity. And I thought that was such a cool idea because it's kind of like how we actually make friends. You've got to, you know, in, 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 in life, well, I guess these days things are a bit different, but traditionally you'd have to sort of, you know, see someone in person and you'd, you know, uh, become acquainted and whatnot. I thought that was, that was pretty cool. And it'd be interesting to see how we could, how we could make use of, of that, um, going, going forward. Well, I think, you know, connectivity is important, but also that, you know, I, I do miss being in an office environment, you know, having 30 plus people in a room, just vibing, you know, that's, that's special. That energy is special too. So, um, I do miss it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, unfortunately, uh, our, our main headquarters where a lot of the administrative and other marketing, because we, if, aside from our SA brand, there's two other brands that we do run. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of people there. So we do, I, I get to co-mingle a little bit, um, but it's not the same. But I do think it's important that people do recognize like, yes, it's at some point or another, when it comes time that everything's much more safe, that we have to, you know, go back out and, 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 you know, South Florida, I don't know if you read the news, but we're just this anomaly of, of uh, culture where people just really don't care. You know, the, the bars are packed, the restaurants are packed. So um, I think people just got so stir crazy at, at some point that it just has to happen. Otherwise, you have this massive bubble of like depression burst. And I know that's a problem today. My wife's a, a mental health um, therapist. So, you know, it's, 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 it's real, you know, that stuff like that's real. So it's important to be mentally healthy too. So, um, you know, uh, but, but that's, you know, uh, something that we're always aware of with the team. We'll have like happy hours every, every Friday, virtual happy hours. And we get to vibe out, play some games, someone hosts it. So it's a very, th- again, it's like breaking up the day in those pieces that you can like reset your mind. Um, because it's just, it's so, it's so important. So it's, and it's like undervalued how important mental health is in some instances today. Absolutely. And I think, the idea of having those transitions and, and breaking up the day is really important. Something that I found is really helpful is I, unfortunately, I don't have like a massive like apartment. So I tend to actually work in the same room that I go to sleep in. So what I find is really helpful is at the end of the day, I'll like pack up all of my stuff. I'll put it away in a drawer and I'll change the lights. I'll put something a little bit more ambient. And it feels like I'm in a different room that it creates that transition, albeit artificially, and I find that's that's really helpful. And something else that's really interesting that I've noticed as well is these days I'm actually reading a lot less, which I find really curious because we've all got more time, right? So why is that happening? And I realize it's because I did so much reading on my morning commute in and here in here in London we we use the the you know our equivalent of the subway the underground and I do so much reading and I notice as well that those transition periods they also aren't just dead time you know some people really like using them for like reading or um kind of uh catching up with other things that we don't necessarily fit in in the other parts of our day our day so I think that's that's really curious as well yeah I I I I get that. Fortunately, like my wife loves to read. I don't, I'm not a big reader. I'm more like audiobook, podcast type of guy. Um, so I've, I found myself listening and then discovering more, more people, you know, podcasts. And, but for me, it's, um, cause I still do have a lot of friends and family up north, uh, New York. So Xbox is actually a cool way for me to keep in touch with them, engage with them. You know, we were playing, uh, you know, call of duty, like just hanging out, but that's my release for me. You know, I, I take a long walk with my dog, <clears throat> you know, for about usually 30, 45 minutes, um, around my neighborhood. And so that's kind of the, 
the break between that, you know, eating dinner, resetting, doing some normal post-work things. Um, because right, 8.30, we have our morning leadership call, right? And that's that's kind of like the days we're on, you know, where we're doing it. So, um, and then I pretty much have a packed schedule from there on, you know, with calls and client calls and things like that. So it's, you know, it's important to just be able to mentally separate yourself. I, I like what you said, as far as like changing the environment that you have in there, um, that's, that's, that's good that you're at least aware of that, you know, that's important. Mm. All right. So John, I wanted to go a little bit left field here because something that I really enjoy is, uh, I also am quite a huge fan of, of, of brands and, um, it's because I, I love design. I love storytelling and communication and, I wanted to get your insight into what you think goes into building a successful brand. That's a good question. Um, it starts with, I think not enough brands today do a good job of like understanding who they really are and who their consumers really are too. A lot of people today are chasing the stream of, we can build an online store, sell products on Shopify and make a ton of money, but they lose touch on, on the brand. Um, oftentimes we'll talk to even companies that have been around for, you know, more than two or three years. And we ask them, show us your brand guidelines, show them, show us your, what we call a brand scape and they don't have one. So then it, the marketing becomes difficult because everything's more subjective of what the operator or the person at lead point feels about the whole situation, about the, the creative. And it doesn't really fall in line with what the brand is intended to do or show. So. I think it really starts with really understanding who you are as a company, like, um, and not just colors or type kits, things like that. I'm talking like going beyond it from a, a more of your true voice as a brand. <clears throat> and beyond that is, is, is really focusing on, on, on the content of things too. Um, again, another challenge that we find is that most companies don't spend enough time creating assets, really good assets, material content, creative assets, um, testimonials, customer, uh, what we call UGC or user generated content, which is you sitting in front of a camera, holding up a product and saying, I love this product because it tastes delicious, you know, and I drink it every day. Um, it's so easy to create content today, but people lose sight on, on, on how important that is. And it, and my marketing will struggle because of it. So I think, uh, Brand is about establishing voice, <clears throat> establishing your true identity, and making a content story that falls in line with who you're truly, really trying to target. Um, you don't you don't need to sell to everybody. You know it, it's it's okay that you don't sell to everybody, but the people that are important to you, the customers that are, are important to you, really treat them like you know they're the only customers you'll ever have. You know because if you do that. The, again, the residual effect is almost infinite. And that's when brands find true scale is when they have those those pieces falling into place. So kind of going back to the the true answer is I think it's like identity, it's content, it's it's true messaging, and it's spending time doing that first because if you do that right, everything else will fall into place. Um, may not be super, super fast, but at least you're doing it the right way as opposed to just always stop, go, stop, go. Um it's, it's, it's like, if you're really thinking about starting a brand or rebranding, do follow those steps. And I think that's, that's a really critical thing that brands miss out on today mm -hmm. from my experience, at least. Yeah. And 
I really resonate with that idea of finding your your true voice and 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 building that sort of authentic authentic content. And I think that can apply not just to businesses and companies, but also to our own personal brands, right? Because everyone is trying to to build their own personal brand, whether we like to admit it or not. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing to do is to kind of be be true to yourself and see what is what is the the mission that you want to to serve in life and how can you best sort of promote that in the way that you present yourself and i think that's that's really that's really awesome and you know for me my um you know what 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 gives me the impression that a brand is is really great is when it evokes a feeling for me, the best brands evoke a feeling because their story is so compelling, you know, and, and ones that come to mind are like Disney or like uh, Apple. Um, and those are such powerful brands because I think they found their, their true voice, as you mentioned. And that kind of leads me on to my next question, which is what are some of the brands that really inspire you? Hmm. It's a good one. I never really give that enough thought today, you know, um, I think I think Peloton's a really good one that I mentioned before because their their pre pre-sale experience and their post-sale experience are very very similar. <clears throat> For me, my and then this is I'm just going off of what what I felt and what I it was it was very engaged for me. And also it was all, uh, even the experience of being an active member of Peloton um you feel part of a family, right? So they make sure that you're like, you're, you're one of them. And which is important because now that we're staying home, some people are very lonely, right? So if you can have something like that, that makes you a part of, of, of a mission, something, a goal that you're setting for yourself and you're having that same goal with other people, thousands of other people in real time. I think that's, that's who they are as a brand. And I think they do that very well. Um, Trying to think what else. I think um hmm. I, I really I had to give that a little more thought. Um I think there's brands like for example, Hymns does a really good job as a brand um because they're they're also giving a lot of value and information, education to a lot of now and female now females now too. I think Hymns does a good job of identifying these problems that m- males and females might have, uh, physically and educating them on what really what the problem is and how you can treat it and how they're going to help you treat it. So I think it's that, and that's a much, uh, more engaged customer journey. I think they do that very well, but their content also kind of resonates with that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I'm trying to think those are two, I don't want to like drag this on, but, but but there's a lot, look, there's a lot of brands out there that do a good job of storytelling, being very, um, uh, you know, really in, in, capturing that moment, that, that feeling that you can get. Um, but, but those are two that I can just kind of jump off the top of my head. So, you know, one of the last things that I wanted to ask you, and I, I'm conscious that we're, we're kind of coming up to the top of the hour is really, you've had such, um, such an interesting story and, you know, your experience up until this point, do you have any particular recommendations for maybe books or documentaries or other resources that you have found really helped you to um, learn more about marketing and and building brands? Um, 
It really depends on the source of, of, or really the objective you're trying to um, solve. And then, you know, the source of where you're going to find that. I think there's a lot of good influencers out there that have certain things that they like to talk about, like Gary Vee, for example. Um, he has a very specific initiative. He doesn't really go into like how to build an advertising funnel per se. Like he'll talk about it, but he's more about branding and creative and storytelling and um, and just pumping in as much content into the system as possible and frequency. For me, in, in my world, it's it's about how do we, we deal with a lot of paid media. Like you mentioned before, we're managing a portfolio of over 50 million in ad spend every year. Um, how do we continue to be ahead of the curve to not just protect ourselves, but protect the clients that choose to work with us? Um, and that's that's a big thing for me is, and, and I do get a lot of, of that information from the platforms themselves, um, the partnerships and really just kind of um, leveraging their minds and, and what they know about the platforms and then empowering myself and my team to think critically for themselves and find like, here's information. Now let's, let's pull more from that ourselves. Let's test things with those theories and put it into real practice. Um, a lot of it's trial and error. So I, but I, I do find a lot of re- really good resources from these individual platforms um, Clavio, for example, is a really great email marketing service that, um, that we can get information about like retention. And then we use that information to figure out how we're going to use that in Facebook or Snapchat or Pinterest. Um, so I, I rely, I get a lot of that, that, that educational from just really diving into the platforms themselves and the resources they have, um, books. I like, I'm, I'm getting my, me, myself, I'm getting more into like the private equity world and like how that all operates with brands and how a company can raise money or get into a strategic partnership with a private equity group and how those groups operate and how they look at brands. Um, that's kind of something I've been looking at recently. And, um, and yeah, I think, the, you know, there was some other great leadership books, um, uh, Think and Grow Rich. If, if that's any book that I think anyone listening should ever think about reading, regardless of what industry you're in, Think and Grow Rich is probably the, one of the most renowned leadership, mental focus, like positive universal energy type of books that, that you know, are, are helping um, people think about success and where, they, where, where, they, where their mind should be. Um, so I would say that's probably the number one book I would recommend. If you haven't read it yet, go, whether it's audiobook or not, that's definitely the book to listen to or, or, uh, or read. Awesome. I know what I'm going to go and do straight after this podcast. I have a couple credits on Audible, so uh, that's a great, great recommendation. Thank you for that. So, John, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time and have this really fascinating conversation about building brands and your journey and story. I think the listeners are really going to really enjoy this. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to uh, plug? Um, how can the listeners learn more about you and the work that you do with uh, Sama Labs? Yeah, thanks. So um, our website is www.sama-labs.com. That's labs with an S. Um, our portfolio, our services are there. Um, so if anyone's building an online brand or has a brand right now, that's looking to scale, happy to talk to whoever that is. Um, 
and it doesn't necessarily need to lead to work. We're always we're always about value. We're always about helping and educating and helping people look at some different opportunities that they might be missing out on. Uh, we have a really great partnership with Facebook that allows us to actually work with um, um, small minority-owned businesses to use Facebook as a growing tool. We have a, a grant program with Facebook that we're running right now that I'm really proud of. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of cool resources, a lot of talented people. That's probably the number one place to find me is on our website. Of course, you can look for me on LinkedIn and add me, message me. Of course, I'm always on LinkedIn, messaging, sharing, commenting on certain things. So um, so yeah, those are the two best places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John. Uh, and there you have it, folks. If you're interested in building brands or learning more about what it takes to build a brand, then John is your guy. Go ahead and reach out and find him at Summer Labs and on LinkedIn. And I'm sure that that would definitely help out. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the show. In Your Element is proudly brought to you by a single dude from his London apartment. This show does not have social media. I'm not going to ask that you leave a rating or a follow. Instead, I'd love to see you coming back just because you're seeking something different, are genuinely curious, and are looking for ways to really find and live in your element, just as I am. As always, keep being you, keep crushing life, and keep finding your element. I'll see you in the next one.